The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. And good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. And here I am with you live today. I realize I've been uh, providing a lot of guests and commentary and doing it through a pre-recorded schedule so that I could be a bit more flexible with a wide variety and range of guests from all over the world. So I hope you've been enjoying uh, the material that we've been presenting over the past few months and continue to enjoy the material that will be coming up soon. We've launched into a bit of a new direction uh, this month in that... Uh, I'm going to, I went to a part of the world, so to speak, that I've never been before, Asia, uh, with my guest Peter Alexander from Trang, Thailand. And then coming up over the next couple of weeks, a, a conversation with a really fascinating, amazing man, Philip Price, and we'll be discussing uh, Sri Lanka and what is going on there. But in the meantime, and part of the reason why I provided uh, a lot of pre-recorded episodes was so that I could take a road trip, take a break, get out of the urban environment. Even though I live in a very small and rural valley, it still feels very urban to me at times and get out into the open country. I wanted to energize my mind, my body, and my soul to do for myself what I ask my listeners to do, reconnect and become engaged in something larger than yourself and imposed limits. I spent about two weeks in the southwest through Colorado, Utah, and Arizona. I even stopped off to spend a night on the rim of the Grand Canyon and to visit my Voice America crew, engineers, and executive director, and to visit a friend of mine, Linda Searles, at the Southwest Wildlife Conservation Center, where we did a live interview from there. From long experience, I can tell you there is nothing like a road trip or a retreat to clear your head. The wide open roads and landscapes give you plenty of room to mull over the things you've been stewing and chewing on. It gives them perspective and lets them take wing into space, leaving you with a bit more mental room and some clarity. At least that's the goal. Then again, you do get out of a road trip what you put into it. My goals are to engage, enlighten, and educate my listeners and myself. This trip, I focused on how better to do that, leading me to think about 
mindfulness, which is what I hope I'm passing along to you through this program, from the conversations with my guests and through providing knowledge and information. Then I returned home, and that's where the work really begins. One can let it all go when taking a break and having a vacation, and you're engaged, and you're planning, and your schedule is full. The harder part is learning how to hold on to that new information and incorporate it into your everyday lifestyle. That's the work. So, some advice from Dennis Prager in his book, Think a Second Time. I pass on this little gem. If something is missing from your life, a suggestion is to find it or drop it. If you cannot live without it, do whatever you can to find it. If you cannot find it, stop thinking about it and celebrate what you do have. Sounds easy, but we all know that isn't the end of it. Oh, what aspirations I had when I first saw a TV. A console, black and white set. No remote. You had to get up and turn the channels. And there were only three stations, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And there was real news. It opened up the world to me. I could watch a man land on the moon and knew that everyone near and far was doing the exact same thing. There was a sense of community. To see what Edward R. Murrow and Ed Sullivan brought to us every evening into our living rooms and being... now being turned into the world's cheesiest carnival and strip mall. Every day we're confronted by those things that make us frustrated, jealous, angry at ourselves, our neighbor, our family, and our friends, and leaving us wanting more. And for me, my particular pet peeve about television is how silly and inane we have become by buying into this era of overconsumption, brought to us by, well... Everyone and everything and everything readily available through the internet, the TV commercials, late night advertisement, and more closely, right there in our homes through the mechanism of the TV and our computers. The other evening, as I channel surfed my way through oblivion in the act of finding something worthwhile to watch, trolling through some 900 channels of waste to find a single gem, I was stopped by a commercial for a Visa card. That made me shake my head in wonder and shudder, thinking, is this what we have come all this way for? There on the screen, in high definition, living color, there's a bunch of big men, really big men, Big bellies, big meaty arms, big beards, baseball caps, what perhaps some might call good old boys or rednecks. But in all seriousness, they were the barbecue masters. There I am watching this as TV is a visual medium, and I'm trying to figure out how Visa and barbecue connect. The advert goes on and on about the competition, the meats, tasty, roasting in the background, and then somehow... All this ties into charging items on the credit card that these big, beefy men and the competition couldn't be accomplished without the instantaneous benefits, along with some rewards and perks for using this card. And further, that it so blatantly promoted a particular group, the beef industry, and a particular lifestyle, beef eating, big men, and eating tons of meat, which, by inference, supports the beef industry, and which, if you've listened to me before, I have a bone to pick there, all pun intended. All in all, I always left feeling that annoying sales pitch to tell me to buy, buy, buy. 
My point is, we are falling for a collusion between banking practices and producers, creating some sort of a direct line and relationship between product and value and your needs and desires, our needs and desires, where really there isn't any such direct connection. Pretty much only in this Western culture, the U.S. US lifestyle, are credit cards the form of wealth to aspire to. That by using this card and creating debt, that all your dreams will come true. How have we gone so far from the mark of what society and community means, the benefits of these in real terms, and how this competition for credit and paper wealth has superseded all else, this quest for overconsumption of goods, of food, and foods that have been scientifically proven to be detrimental to our health? It is the best and brightest as the best and brightest option of living in today's world. The advertisements boggle me to the point that, well, I don't understand the point. Who are they trying to tell us they are? It's a credit card company. It's a bank. It's debt. All the things at the bottom of stress, anxiety, and keeping up with the Joneses and tearing apart the fabric of social interactions and creating social unrest as we go around being jealous or mad that we can't afford the American dream, but we'll sure go into debt trying. So, my point here is mindfulness. This lust for stuff has warped our sense of self, of society, of culture, of health, and wealth. It has disrupted our sense of mindfulness into something base, superficial, transient, and temporary. A constant need to be filled with the product du jour from electronic games and gadgets to supplements to instant weight loss to cars and jewelry that this stuff will fulfill that emptiness. The point really is mindfulness, being aware of and making mindful choices, being attentive to the knowing date to the knowing, the data, and the consequences. It's about choosing wisely. In the end, my hope for us, humanity, the U.S., our culture, is that we will work on raising our intellectual, moral, and spiritual levels so that we will get away from watching the garbage, much of the programming, and certainly the advertising, that has become ubiquitous on television. In fact, Now we get more of our nature through watching television than we do stepping outside and actually participating in it and standing on the earth. My next pet peeve, advertising. PR simply perpetuates a false sense of reality. Do you really believe that buying that car will get you that girl, that man, that place in the sun, a wild ride on the road at the edge of the world? No, no. You are the one who will choose or make these decisions. The car, the child's toy, the vacation escape or distraction are simply vehicles. Just as well, our choices are the peak vehicles to get us to a place we want or would like to be. This outrageous array of unnecessary stuff will not buy us happiness. And as hokey as it sounds and as hard as it is to achieve, happiness really does come from within. These externals, as I call them, the bill of goods the consumer culture gods wants to sell us, can, in circumstances, certainly increase, elevate, or even actualize a sense of self. But think a second time. If that's what it takes to make us feel a sense of self in the first place, again, we're in trouble. 
Mindfulness asks us to consider why and how we work ourselves to the bone, sometimes doing the very things we do not enjoy or are contrary to our deepest convictions, often to wind up at the end of our day too tired or without the time to enjoy those meaningful things that we're working so hard to create the time and energy and the wherewithal to do. Why do we do this to ourselves? Is it to enable us to pay off the debt, which beyond the literal sense of the money in the bank, is also more broadly needed to pay for all the unintended consequences we've surrounded ourselves with by all the stuff we consume? Too tired to enjoy your pets, your kids, your home, your yard, that vacation, that new car, or barbecue grill. This movement we see taking place today, this paradigm shift, is more about making mindful choices that will move us individually, culturally, societally, and globally forward to a world of mindfulness. Let's take another look at advertising and mindless choices shaping young minds and our youth today. Fashion and high heels. There was a video going around on YouTube of young models on the catwalk, the newest Barbie doll-like fashions of overdone, or in some cases far too underdone, fashion trying to strut their stuff in six-inch-plus spike high heels on a shiny, highly waxed tile floor, and of all things, surrounded by a moat of water. One by one, as the women come out strutting their stuff in these clothes, I guess is what they're going to be called, they fall. As they try to accomplish the supposedly sexy, loose-limbed, pelvic-strutting, what passes for support to hold them up, a shoe slides out from under them, simply causes their ankles to fold over and collapse. Like dominoes, they go one after another. What was the response? Who rushes to help? No one. The models try to laugh it off. The audience applauds and laughs. The cameras zoom in on the embarrassment and then arrives at the ultimate insult. The designers themselves make their appearances and strut down the catwalk, and the scowls on their face says it all. The arrogance is that they, after all who have been humiliated, seem to be the most insulted. Outside of the ubiquitous soft porn of the scripted and airbrushed fantasy magazines, television, ads selling luxury cars, and fashion, it has no place in everyday life, at least in most of the lives I see around me. More aptly, this is another ploy to make us feel that we are lacking, that being who we are and what we do doesn't have enough meaning, unless you live in Mardi Gras or perhaps in a real housewife of New Jersey, or are a Kardashian. Mindfulness demands that we ask, what are we doing to our young girls, our boys, ourselves? What are we basing our sense of femaleness, womanhood, or manhood upon? Beside the unrealistic appearances, these products, and therefore their sellers and advertisers, are asking us to pay them to ruin our bodies, while in the next 15 minutes we're told we can fix that in a jiffy too from a stunning array of supplements or a piece of equipment that will, in five minutes, whip us into Mr. or Mrs. Universe, or even better, take a pill, drink a bottle of processed food and so-called nutrition needs in one swallow and you're set for the next five hours. And even more, give it to the kids and grandma. 
And get this, there was an article in the New York Times that surgeons who perform elective or cosmetic surgery are seeing a rise in requests from women who actually want to surgically manipulate and reshape their feet to fit into these monstrosities of fashion called shoes. History is fraught with body manipulations to fit style and fashion. What immediately comes to mind is the foot, band, foot binding from the geisha, that, from the geisha, pardon me, who could not walk normally, only take tiny mincing steps, most suited for a woman whose role was to be seen and not heard and to serve. Or of Egypt's royals, Queen Nefertiti, wrapping her skull to shape it for the exaggerated heavy gold headpiece, or any number of African or indigenous tribes, ear and body piercings, neck braces, and elaborate hairdos. It sounds like our inner city and uh, a lot of our young cultures today. In our quest for identity today, we are mutilating ourselves to stand out and be seen. Why? What price beauty? How do we define it? I'd say for many of us, it's not so elaborate as as we're being told it must be by the product sellers. To them, it's a car or a woman wearing scanty clothing and stilts, or a half-naked boy man with a two-day beard and a set of racked-up abs. Today's advertising, television programming, from daytime talk shows to the wave of vampire and wolf teen, wolfman teen and young adult series to reality TV. It's still just soap opera, titillating variations on a theme soft porn. For the for a middle-of-the-road Puritan society living in a virtual world, this is how we get our thrills and sex today. Everything on the planet has sex. It's core function. Our sex toys today are a bunch of stuff. Since when do we have sex with a car, with a hair product, with a dress or a shoe or a piece of exercise equipment? In the end, they're just a bunch of toys, costly ones at that, And without mindfulness, none of it will get us anywhere near the hope-for dream of connectedness. So stick with me. me. I'm going to be back with more about mindfulness. And you can follow me on Facebook or Twitter. And you can send me an email at ellie at wildeyes.org. Yes, that's a new address. E-L-I at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot org. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. 
Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W I L D I Z E at W I L D I Z E dot O R G. Now, back to Our Wild World. Welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss, and I'm talking about mindfulness today. Before the break, I was ranting on a bit about what television has become compared to what it was when it first came out. The scientist in me, and of course, I am not a scientist, but I do have a logical and quest for science and understanding and knowing how things work. So the scientist in me would be interested in the sociological study of how or if these toys that we see on television that were being pressed so hard to buy to be equally as competitive and to fit in with the Joneses, Joneses really do enhance our ability to find happiness, a mate, and a life worth living. It reminds me of that joke. Okay, stick with me for a minute. What's the difference between a Porsche and a porcupine? One has the pricks on the outside. If someone has bought that car because they think it's sexy, that in some odd way that car will give them or get you sex or transport you out of your life and into an action movie, I am seriously worried about you. Advertising and television programming today is geared toward triggering deeply rooted stimuli. I would hope, however, that our higher brain, that which is responsible for logic and reasoning, that part which is said to set us apart from animals, that which makes us human, would kick in. Mindfulness. Remember, it was Sigmund Freud's nephew, Edward Bernays, also very skilled in practice in the field of psychoanalysis and psychiatry and psychology and the workings of the mind, who turned his talents of understanding our fears and joys into creating propaganda. In other words, he was the father of public relations and advertising. How to use our fears and joys to entice us to do things and buy stuff that when looked at closely defies logic and rationale. Make no mistake, advertising is very big business and we are the suckers. Mindfulness. Remember, we have a choice. We vote the direction that our culture, our society, our humanity is taking with every penny we spend. We can decide and guide as to what kind of people and culture and society we want to be. But it takes work. It requires mindfulness. If you don't buy it, the companies can't sell it. 
Business is completely dependent upon our spending and consumer value. We do really hold all the cards. We just have to play them mindfully. Our obsession with television and the advertising of medical wonder drugs targeted like a stealth missile to attack a specific system, and then it proceeds to tell you of the side effects. Side effects? A side effect that will create a whole new havoc within your body intentionally. I say that because it is a USDA-approved drug that will, on the off chance, remove this one particularly undesirable issue and has a good and effective chance of killing you from a whole host of other things. These drugs create ill health. And we advertise it to the general public. We're the only nation outside of New Zealand that allows direct drug selling from the makers to the public through television. A public who is often so distraught over not being good enough, have a cool enough car, can't get that six-pack boy man, will never meet in a real world or equal setting that toothpick model or full-lipped, big-eyed stereotype of a girl woman who will never age, but perhaps you won't have to worry about embalming her with the artificial life fluids that we finish using to cleansing us for the last time. Reality TV, another pet peeve. I wonder what our future historians and anthropologists will have to say about our fashion, our consumerism, our programming. I can see the documentary reel in my head, spinning bits from the cult cult films, Swamp Kings, the afternoon histronic talk shows, the nightly news of terror and violence, the clothing, the shoes, the riots and wars, and see the questioning looks on the future humans. I wonder what they'll be like. A more ridiculous version of us, such as portrayed in the teen hit Hunger Games, or the quietude and serenity of Ray Bradbury's Martian Chronicles. From the sociological standpoint of the future, I wonder if our evolved selves will know us for who and what we are. What price are we paying now in our mental health and our well-being to our planet's health and well-being for this unrealistic and escapist view of what it means to be alive or to be attractive and sexy? We are spending billions on the production and consumption of the seemingly unattainable to the point of spending what we don't have, unlimited resources, to try and get it with more and more disastrous results often violently in the process. The price and toll on both the emotional and physical well-being and consequences and ramifications to our bodies to that of the current round of resource wars. If we mindfully consider what we are doing, we'd ask, who are the beneficiaries of this quest? Who ultimately pays the high cost and price? Life does. All life as we know it. Animal, vegetable, and mineral you and me. Like the old game, rock, paper, scissors, or tic-tac-toe, there is no winner. In this toss of the dice and game of chance, the stakes are very, very high. Somehow, despite our gut instincts, we're falling for calling it progress. But it seems to date we're selling out and stacking the bullshit-to-benefits ratio against ourselves. Let's go there a moment. What are we doing to our guts and our instincts as a result of this fantasy lifestyle? What are the consequences our bodies today, tomorrow, and our children today and tomorrow facing from the toxins we have been pouring into our bodies, our food, our ecosystems, waterways, and air? 
We are just beginning to understand through technological advances in science that help science discover more and more about how things work. And what we're finding is that we have dramatically altered our DNA and the DNA of the life in the beings around us. Of course, we're still human, but the subtleties are certainly beginning to show up in the broad spectrum of things, from diabetes, obesity, and gender neutrality, to cancers, to diseases, not just in us humans, but also throughout the biosphere we and all life depends upon. In fact, that biosphere, which is the creation of life as we know it. Instead, we are now creating mutations throughout our food change, chains that are rapidly becoming beyond our ability to understand, let alone stop. From marine life to all mammals to insects, that is us, our pets, our food, our wildlife and wilderness, our oceans, our earth, our one and only permanent residents. And even in that, we're temporary tenants. Have we learned so little from our history? Are we really any different now than the colonials exploiting the 99% in favor of the 1%, selling out planetary resources from millennia for the fast track of short riches displayed on this, displayed by this dominant Western culture that is killing us and everything else along with us? With all, when all reasonable, rational, mindful solution would be to learn from the past. See behind the scenes that the glitz and glamour of, excuse me, see behind the scenes of the glitz and glamour to recognize that we pay tribute to this fantasy being crammed down our throats through loss of our health, our independence, and the corruption of originality, creativity, and intelligence into a dumbed down, falsely dignified, so-called democratic, but somehow also a socialist dictatorship monarchy of a free market communism for the gods and egos of capitalism, running amok on a global scale like bullies in the schoolyard. Boys will be boys and girls will be girls until someone teaches them to be more. And that, my friends, is up to each of us. We are confronted every day now with the ramifications and the effects of our human history and actions, particularly that over the past half century. Guided by political power plays and and gain highlights at best our skill in short-term thinking and at worst is and will continue to have the destructiveness of our ways and our life systems. And by that, I include our bodies, our societies, our earth, and all life as we know it. Mindful decision-making is more important than ever right now. Human nature is to identify with a group. Societies, how we identify our group, is through a linked series of similar behavior, dress, race, and can include religion, faith, and traditional practices, a common sociology of mind. In a predator-prey relationship, visual cues identify groups and group relations play an important part of this cohesiveness. We, here in the Western world, an egotistical sense of being the dominant culture, excuse me, culture, West is best, we have lost the group or term spirit in favor of the I or me, singular priorities and celebrate the individual. And in doing so, we have relegated the responsibilities of being an adult to giving away to childish fantasies and instantaneous gratification. There's a great little book 
called Boardroom Babies, written tongue-in-cheek, but has yet an eerie relationship to the truth. The basic premise is that the higher one has climbed on the ladder of Western concept of success, the less responsibility they take for themselves, and the more they become surrounded by psychophants willing to denigrate themselves and be guided by the mood and whim of the VIP. The relationship being, of course, that this is what babies do. The world of the adult is totally geared around the needs, wants, desires, mood, and whim of the baby in the room. But, as I was saying, knowing friend from foe is important in culture, in relationships, and now even in the workplace. We are asked to vilify the enemy, and oftentimes the enemy is created by consensus, often created or exaggerated or taken out of context, and then expanded upon in the mass media where the average attention span is that of a gnat and is more geared to the attractiveness of the current talking head. The predator-prey relationship is all around us, wildlife, culture, and human, and comes down to eat or be eaten. The catch is our big brains and being human and the ability to adapt and evolve consciously, mindfully. And it is this ability that often separates us from the many in the animal world. Leaving out for the moment the discussion of theory of mind, sentience, complex social societies, problem-solving and evolution in mammals and other life forms, which I have discussed previously and to be sure will again through this program, we humans have become, above all else, the architects of our future. Knowingly or unknowingly, we have decided the fate of our planet and its life for the near term. I'm talking about the next 50 to 100 years through our lack of mindfulness. So, from here on out, at every moment, Knowing what our science, the climate, the animal world is telling us, we have the choice to be knowingly mindful. To choose wisely, knowing so much depends upon these choices, or be knowingly selfish, childish, and ignorant. If you choose to be neither predator nor prey, well, welcome to being the average human. Stumbling around, marching along, being led by what some highly paid propagandists are saying that we need as they vie for our attention, our demographic, our consumer dollar, and eventually leading to selling out our soul, our humanity. On the other hand, this same groupthink can work in our favor when the individual stands up for a cause, thinks out of the box, and speaks up to a world that is yearning for new voices, many will follow. What explains our desire to follow? The herd mentality or coordinated movement? All movement is constructed around one individual's decision to move. Clustering is a safety and survival trait, an instinct not to stand out from the crowd. You've heard of the lemmings, right? The individual stands out when he stands apart. It's the lone wildebeest that gets caught by the lion. But the ones who stand out also have the ability to create a group. Those who stand out have the ability to become leaders, agents of change, moving the herd to safety and rock the group out from the zombie autopilot mode. With mindful thinking teamwork and a community is created and therein lies the possibility for integrated and cohesive movement where skill sets can stand out and shine. Television and virtual world games take our mindfulness out of our current reality, away from what is happening to us as a species and instead focuses it on the power of 
power gain of the individual. We are being numbed into oblivion to the lowest common denominator, removing our aspirations for greatness into baseness and celebrity as the highest honor. In the past 50 years, this herd mentality and glorification of the ego has taken us from aspirations of wanting to be a fireman, a soldier, astronaut, police officer, or president to wanting to be the next American idol or biggest loser or the winner of Minute to Win It. If you're not on TV, then you don't exist. We've gone from using our brains to using our face to sell espresso machines and dog treats in less than 30 seconds to the masses glued to the tube. Ah, celebrity. What is our infatuation with celebrity, more particularly instant celebrity, and at the cost of being shamed, humiliated, and embarrassed in front of millions of people? In this quest for celebrity, we've broken ourselves up into tribes. Actually, I should say reverted back into a prehistoric mentality, the herd. Look at just about any schoolyard, playground, or cafeteria, and you'll see the tribes, the hierarchies. Read the news, and you'll learn who the current clans are and how the tribes work to fit in. Now look at us as adults. We have our tribes, politicians, civil service, sports tribes, all led by the gods of our clans, the celebrities, the A-list, the B-list, and the not-to-be-seen-with-list. The tribes almost transcend race and religion, but these still seem to be the great dividers. For all we've gained and groaned as a species, we're still just children, excelling to be the bully in the schoolyard or the teacher's pet, or just trying not to stand out, picking sides, picking teams, and picking on the weak, and lining up to follow the leader. I find it difficult some days to keep a light heart about our human condition and our folly. Then I remember to step outside the box into our wild world, even if it's just my backyard, and remember that this too shall pass. So on that moment, we're going to take a break. So once again, I'd like you to follow us on Facebook. We have a page, Our Wild World, and then there's one for Wild Eyes Foundation, and then there's one for Ellie Weiss. You can also follow us on Twitter at Wild Eyes. That's the at sign, W-I-L-D-I-Z-E. There's a lot going on there, so stick with us, and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. 
We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back. This is Ellie Weitz, and I'd just like to reiterate that if you'd like to call in, please call in at uh, 866-472-5788 or send me an email at Ellie, E-L-I, at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. And the reason that's changing, changing, and I'll get that updated on our website and our advertisements here uh, break time because I've been spammed. My email got hacked into and I spend about an hour a day removing thousands, tens of thousands of spam emails from my uh, inbox. So therefore, please, if you'd like to contact me, send me uh, right now to ellie at wildeyes.org or follow us on Facebook. There's the Ellie Weiss page, there's the Wild Eyes page, and there's the Our Wild World page. Each page posts something a little different. My Ellie Weiss page, I talk about some common things that are going on and just share some interesting thoughts and quips. Uh, on the Wild Eyes Foundation page, I share things that are going on, not only with Wild Eyes and our grantees, but what's going on around the world. And in our Wild World page, I share not only the episodes and links that you're listening to here that you can find on the Voice America homepage, but also uh, those articles and links that are pertinent to what we've discussed through my guests or through this show. So on that note, I recently watched a magical BBC Earth documentary called One Life. It talked about with 5 million species on Earth, there's 5 million ways to stay alive and that every day on Earth is Mother's Day. Every mother, every life starts with a birth and every mother must choose where her baby will be born. In our wild world, every mother will choose to have her children in a place we humans cannot often possibly survive. Do you not think our fellow non-human earthlings face enough challenges as is without our added unmindful living, our quest for stuff, our overconsumption of resources that's not only killing a lot of us, but killing our planted, plant, excuse me, planet. 
Earth has taken millennia to become what she is today, home to the 5 million plus species that we know of. And yet, in just the past few decades, we, just one species, has managed to cause the extinctions of so many others, those we know of and have counted, and those we have barely had the chance to find due to our ever-increasing destruction of habitats and the ensuing loss of life that depends upon those umbrellas of community. And we're still counting the losses. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, and I hope you hear me mindfully. We are in the era of the Anthropocene. That means the age of man. And this era is also the sixth mass extinction. We are the comets, the meteor, the tsunami, the earthquake. We have shifted core Earth functions. Climate has shifted. There is no denying it. The only argument left is how much is due to us. And at this point, that's moot. Why we continue to quibble about it instead of acting on finding solutions is our current biggest problem and lack of mindfulness. Change happens in the blink of an eye, the clap of a hand, the lifespan of you or your child. Wouldn't it be so much more affirming to be a gift of life, of mindful living, that the execution is and, and be the perpetrators, the creators of our life, rather than the executioners, ex, I'm sorry, executioners of our ability to be alive, to be, to lose the life as we know it. So why do some of our fellow earthlings, our non-human neighbors, choose such inhospitable places to have their babies? Well, security from predators and natural enemies besides us, but often that is the only benefit. For life beckons and life requires resources, food, and often the company of players. Who are we to be the deciders of their fate? Who are we to be the deciders of whether non-humans have emotions, feel pain, have language, or communicate, have sentience, and a theory of mind? Do you think it matters a whit to the snow monkey's thoughts what you or I think about it? The important, important point here, though, is who are we to be the deciders of whether they have a future on this planet or not? That right there is our biggest responsibility, to get over ourselves, beyond our selfishness, and consider there is more to the world than our personal gain, our singular pain, and our future alone, and make healthy decisions about where we fit in, our place in this complex web of life, and that will be of the utmost importance. And the sooner we become mindful about it, the upside is we will create the time we need rather than let it slip by unnoticed. To dawdle over this decision is a mistake. So my request to you, my listeners, is to be mindful, to learn and teach goodness and a spirit of generosity, for this is not an innate human trait contrary to mainstream thought, and give our neighbors all of our neighbors, the benefit of the doubt, and let them live. This brings me to images of people posing with their trophy kill, and comes full circle to my earlier comments about identity, tribe, and the quest for a mate, and sex. More than watching a woman destroy herself for fashion, I detest the sexual connotation inherent in men and women posing over their kill, human or animal. What is the attraction to this? 
what part of our brain is telling us that this person posing with a dead leopard in his or her arms, coquettishly smiling for the camera, or posing with the high-tech weapon of choice, what makes this sexy? What makes this attractive? I'm sorry, I just don't get it. I try. I talk to hunters. I talk to trophy hunters. And I talk to people. And I, I, I'm sorry, I just don't get it. I do understand the need to kill for survival, eat or be eaten, in the world of wildlife survival. I even understand the need to kill wildlife or individual animals for the greater species survival. But I do not see the need to gloat over your trophy, whether it's a lion or Osama bin Laden. I understand the skill required to train, track, hunt, and kill. But turning this into sport is uniquely human. There are some predators that will kill their enemy out of spite, lions and hyenas, for example, but this is usually out of competition for limited resources and territory. But sport hunting is not about sport, not when using high-tech weapons against a prey that doesn't even know the hunt is on. I do not, in this day and age, with both the scientific knowledge we have of the destruction we are wreaking, understand the need to kill for pleasure, turning the killing of amazing forms of life into entertainment and recreation. This says a whole lot about who we are. The dominant culture system, the Western lifestyle, has taken a terribly childish, selfish, and deadly wrong turn. Not just in that we are a deadly force against all other life at every turn, but that we are committing suicide in the doing so. Personally, I enjoy being alive, and I do not appreciate the way we're headed toward ruining our world and turning it into one giant landfill of plastic garbage and our cast-offs to poisoning my air and removing my fellow conscious, albeit not human, earthly neighbors and inhabitants and the wilderness in the name of making a living or entertainment or selling stuff. Our world, our wild world, is a kaleidoscope of beings of all species. We are all farmers, architects, and engineers, creating landscapes that are conducive to life. We humans have taken our abilities way beyond any natural boundary that may have stopped us prior to our technology. We repay this miracle of life with wanton and mindless destruction in the name of perceived progress, in a misguided benchmark based upon man-made system of currency and power-mongering and mistakenly substituted this for wealth and health. Our world is our wealth. Our brains and our ability to work together to problem-solve is our wealth and our health. Our creativity, ingenuity, and ability to come together in crisis is our talent and skill and needs to be taught and nurtured. It does not come naturally. We have forgotten in our hectic world filled with smartphones and virtual worlds that goodness may not come naturally. Just watch the cruelty of children and despots to know the truth of this statement. In our search for the biggest, the best, the brightest new toy, to satisfy our every whim or need instantaneously is proving to be our downfall. We are so intent upon competition that we are forgetting to teach our children what it means to nurture, thus letting our basest nature guide us and look at the mess this has gotten us into. 
with the latest smartphone is smarter than the human using it, and its primary use by the general public is to take a selfie to announce, I was there, but a gorilla or a chimpanzee or a parrot can make more sense in communicating its needs to us, either through sign language or language icons, that's pictures, with the same technology. And our teenagers spend time behind locked doors, plotting how to kill their classmates and teachers, and we're a population suffering from attention deficit disorder and post-traumatic stress. Then the alarm bell is ringing loud and clear. We just need to turn off the TV, the computer, unlock our doors, and communicate, not just talk, but connect to our children, to our loved ones, to our neighbors, and to our leaders. We are at the point now where it is not just a political game. It is not just a game of numbers. Numbers of us speaking out for the world we wish to have and be a part of. A world where mindfulness comes before self-gratification. A world where values are taught and that there is an authority, whether it be God or goodness or whatever, that is higher than us, ourself. And a faith that if we focus on being attentive to what we have and need in common across the board, all species, then we will begin creating a world that has a future worth living in. When we put the ethics before profits, environmental system needs before the needs of the board of directors and the shareholders, then we all become shareholders, stakeholders, as we all have something at stake here. We all have something to gain and to lose. We are at the point where being deaf and blind will not suit us. We're ignoring the stop signs at every turn is causing havoc. We're witnessing the consequences of decades of selfishness, war, hate, terror, and fear that have become the toxins of our era. The damage this is doing to us as individuals and as a global community. I've said it before. We have only one Earth. If we don't care, who will? Without being completely naive, we do need to begin to rise to the lofty goals we once aspired to, such as the United Nations or the Nobel Peace Prize, to aspire to be discoverers, adventurers, and saviors. Living to be entertained has its price. This is our time. Earth is hiring, and there's a lot to do. We can each start with one thing. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to sacrifice for your children, their children, my children, our world? Are we willing to give peace a chance to listen to solutions and reimagine the future? To know that we reap what we sow and that what we can sow and that we can sow something different. Einstein defined insanity as doing the same thing over and over while expecting different results. Or, put another way, when you're stuck inside the box, it's hard to think outside of the box. But there are other boxes, other worlds. There are other solutions. We just have to be willing to try. To get different results, we have to do something different. So when things aren't working for you, there's really no loss in doing something differently. The trick is putting the information together and creating a non-combat zone, a net of safety that allows and promotes ideas, a place for those who stand out from the herd to speak up. We have a lot to gain. We just need to listen, lower the walls of our self-imposed gulfs, open the gates of Oz, knock on the door, and speak up. 
We can create this. It simply does not compute to continue such unbalanced, unhealthy, and unsustainable paths. Based on such a twisted sense of values, greed, power, celebrity, and cruelty that is bent on killing us and everything that we've ever loved, including that which gave us existence and our source of light and life. Where value is based on a number rather than human resourcefulness, and when it really is in each of our best interests to start thinking outside the box, what is ultimately at stake is priceless. Humans are thinking, creative beings. We are adaptable and flexible and able to learn from our surroundings and our mistakes. We've been able through history to create and imagine wonders that can either destroy or create life. In times of crisis, we have shown the ability to come together and solve problems. We have shown over and over that we can do what we set our hearts, souls, and minds to do. Like billions of universes, we are not alone. There's billions of us. We must find common ground that transcends and supersedes our divisiveness, fears, and self-doubts. We can and eventually must work together. This will be the era of mindfulness. Our very survival is at stake. Thank you. This is Ellie Weiss in Our Wild World, and I appreciate that you've tuned in and that you've listened. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now.